Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18. And after I read, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, if you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning. So, the cursing of the fig tree. Um, Wow, I learned a lot from this passage this past week as I was studying it and I'm excited to preach this morning. Um, I would love to um, do this text justice and um, I'm expecting God to really move through this sermon and I'm asking him to move. I'm asking him to meet each and every one of you. And um, so let's, let's pray together one more time and just ask him to do just that. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of this day, this very moment that you've given to us. This is a gift. Every breath is a gift. Every, every heartbeat is a gift. And Lord... You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You have given us your very son as a sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice, the once for all time sacrifice for sin, for those who turn to him and believe in him, trust in him. And so, Lord, we have so much to thank you for today. And God, we come to you and ask that you would move among us. We come to you and ask, believing that you want to bear fruit in our lives. So would you do that? Would you let this time, this teaching, this, this study in your word, Lord, be seed in our hearts that would grow up and produce much fruit? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we read a short passage of Scripture that um, could potentially be confusing. What's the deal with this? Why does Jesus curse this fig tree? What does it have to do with what's going on in Matthew 21? So let me, let me lay the context out for you. At the beginning of Matthew 21, Jesus, who is the, the promised, prophesied, long-awaited Messiah, makes his grand entrance into Jerusalem, and he does this on Passover, 
Now, Passover is a big deal. It's a huge celebration where the Israelites are celebrating when God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. And, um, and so all of Israel is gathering in the city of Jerusalem, in the, in the, the capital city. And Jesus comes in. He rides in to Jerusalem, his first big public grand entrance into the city. Now, why this timing? Why does Jesus come at Passover? And the reason is because Passover is and always has been about Jesus. Passover is actually a prophetic sign. It's showing, it's, it's been all about the lamb who would be slain. If you're familiar with the story, the lamb who would be slain, whose blood would cover those under it so that the destroyer would pass them by. That's the story of Passover. It's all actually pointing to Jesus. And so the timing is intentional. He comes into the city at Passover, the king of Israel, the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah. After about three years, more than three years probably, of teaching and miracles, signs and wonders, and fulfilling of so many prophecies, and he comes to Jerusalem, the heart of Israel, and then he comes to the very epicenter of Jerusalem, to the temple. And as he rides in, he rides on a donkey, which is a prophetic sign from Zechariah 9.9 that the king would come riding, humble and riding on a donkey. He, he goes to the temple, and this is his father's house. This is where worship is supposed to be taking place that's, that's pointing people to who? To him. And rather than a worshipful welcome, he receives a cold shoulder. He receives the scornful looks of the religious leaders. And here, the God of Israel stands in the corner of the temple ignored. And he looks around and he sees busyness. He hears loud music and laughter. He sees tradition. He sees, he sees people going through the motions. There's money to be made. Pigeons are being sold. Money's being exchanged. After all, it's Passover. Who has time to deal with Jesus? And righteous anger wells up within him. This is his father's house. And he turns the tables over. And he runs the pigeon sellers out. God's Redeemer stands in the temple. And he's ignored. Only the blind and the lame and the children recognize him for who he is and worship him. After thousands of years of prophetic promises... God sends not only a Savior, but His own Son to His people, and He's rejected by them. On the day of His triumphal entry, Jesus finds Jerusalem barren. And it looks, on the surface, the city looks like there's life in it, right? All the hustle and bustle, all the celebration all the busyness, all the religious stuff, all the tradition. 
It's all happening, and it looks like there's life on the surface, but underneath, it's dead. There's no faith, no relationship with God, no true love for God. As Jesus said, they had lips that honored God, but their hearts were far from him. And so, in verse 17, he leaves there. He goes to lodge in Bethany, a few miles outside of the city. And the next morning, he gets up to go back into the city. And as he's drawing near to the city, he sees in a, off in the distance this fig tree that's in leaf. And it's, it's early for a fig tree to be in leaf. But for a fig tree to be in full leaf, it, it should mean that there's fruit on it. And so he's hungry for fruit. So he, he draws near to this fig tree, and what he finds beneath all the leaves is barrenness. And so he curses it. Because the fig tree is not producing what God had made it to produce. And it withers from the root. And all of this is dripping with meaning. And that's what we're going to look at. So if you're a note taker, I've got three simple points this morning. Number one is that fruitlessness leads to judgment. Fruitlessness leads to judgment. Remember, it says he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves and he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. So we're going to be talking a lot about fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is the produce of your life. It's what your life puts out. And the fruit that God looks for in his people is he looks for good fruit. He looks for righteousness. He looks for the fruit that he produces through relationship with him. And so throughout the Old Testament, God has said to his people that he expects fruit from them, good fruit from their lives. And there are several passages where he talks about this in Jeremiah 8, 13. He says, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine nor figs on the fig tree, even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. So God pictures Israel as this barren grapevine, as this withered fig tree. He goes searching for fruit among his people and finds nothing. Again, in Isaiah 5, I think we may have these verses. Do we have that? No? Isaiah 5 um, four, starting in verse 4, says, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So God, he describes his people as this vineyard, and he goes looking for fruit. He goes looking for justice, but instead it's bloodshed. He goes, he goes looking for righteousness, but instead there's just unrighteousness and an outcry because of it. And this theme is found throughout the Old Testament. And the idea is that 
God provides for his people to bear good fruit. He craves it. He longs for it. He goes looking for it. And over and over again, he finds none. And this, this theme doesn't end with the end of the Old Testament. You may remember back in early in Matthew, when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, he's like this last Old Testament-style prophet who's come to pave the way for the Messiah. Do you remember what he says to the Israelites to start out the book of Matthew? Matthew 3, verses 8 through 10, he says, Bear fruit, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so a new era is beginning. A new covenant is about to be established, this covenant of grace. And yet God is still eagerly looking for fruit among his people, calling them to bear fruit. So let's get to the significance of Jesus' curse on this fig tree. Hopefully you remember in Eric's sermon from last week, he, he taught us about these parables. There's three parables that come right after this, right? And one of those parables is about uh, the master of a vineyard. Remember this? And, and he goes looking for fruit. And at the end of that parable... Jesus says this to the Jewish people in Matthew 21, 43. He says, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And so Jesus cursing this fig tree is not a moment of frustration. I think I always read this passage and kind of thought that. But this is more than that. Jesus isn't just hangry. There's something else bigger, more significant going on here. It was a sign. When he curses this fig tree, it is a sign that is pregnant with meaning. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem at Passover... The nation of Israel's moment of fruit inspection had come. And he found them barren, fruitless, all show, no life. And so on cursing this fruit tree, Jesus is pronouncing judgment in the same way that he pronounced judgment when he said this temple will be torn down. He's pronouncing a judgment. And this all took place just as John the Baptist had said. Remember what we just read? The axe was being laid to the tree. And perhaps this judgment seems harsh to you, but let's not forget what Eric taught us last week so well. God had been incredibly merciful, incredibly patient. He had come to his people over and over and over again. 
He had given them opportunity after opportunity. He had sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. And finally, he says, I will send my own son. Surely they will listen to him. And they reject him as well. So finally, God treats those who refuse to believe with severity. But even this severe divine judgment on Israel is full of kindness and mercy. Because in Israel's judgment, the rest of the world would have the opportunity to enter into his kingdom. Yes, thank God. He says, Paul, talking about this, says in Romans 11, verse 15, he says, their rejection, speaking of the Jews, means the reconciliation of the world. He says then in verse 19, then you, who are not Jews, will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Did you catch that? Because they refused to believe in the Son of God when he came to them, God made reconciliation available to the whole world. Later on in this chapter, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He works even in the rejection of his son. Precisely in the rejection of his son. So, what should we learn from Israel's error? And you may have caught it in that passage. If fruitlessness leads to judgment, then we had better bear good fruit. So here's my second point, if you're note-taking. Bearing fruit proves we are disciples. Remember what we just read there in Romans 11. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. In other words... If he didn't spare the natural branches, Israel, when they didn't bear fruit, neither will he spare you if you don't bear fruit. So we've been grafted in. That's what Romans 11 is talking about, that those who are not Jews have been grafted into the vine, into the life of God. Why? So that we would bear fruit for his glory. And if we prove to be unfruitful, we too will be cut off. This is the way that Jesus says it in John 15, 
in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Without much fruit, without bearing fruit, we have no proof that we're his disciple, no, no evidence to show for a relationship with him. He says a little bit later in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. In other words, you should keep bearing fruit fruit not just like one time not just a turn and and for a month or two your life was different but now you're back to your old ways and just living like you used to live and and it doesn't remain no 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 jesus is saying i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit would abide you'll keep on bearing fruit so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you we prove that we're truly his disciples. You understand? By what our lives produce. Our confession of faith, our profession, our, our baptism, our, our inclusion in the people of God, coming to church, being a part of the community, that's not what we're talking about here. All of that stuff is wonderful. But, but what we're talking about here is what is your life producing? What is, what is different about your character? Like Jerusalem, professing believers' lives can be full of religious activity, songs and traditions, and void of any real relationship with God. Again, what is fruit? Fruit is the produce of your life. Remember what Jesus taught about false prophets, false teachers, back in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. You will recognize them by their fruits, not by their teaching. Not by their personality, not by their charisma. Not by the results of their ministry. By their fruits. So every healthy tree, he says, bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. No one expects to get apples from an orange tree. We tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit it bears. And people are no different. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There it is again. Thus, you will recognize them, false prophets, false teachers, by their fruits. You will recognize them by inspecting their personal lives. So false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing that prey on sheep. They use the sheep for their own advantage, for their own personal 
gain. And usually they are charismatic and sharp and impressive. And so Jesus says, no, 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 you, you don't, no, that's not what you look at. Look at the fruit. What do their personal lives look like? This lines up with everything we know about how to decide whether or not a person can be a pastor in a church. In um, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, says, before you appoint anyone to be an elder or a pastor, those are synonyms, it says, look at their marriage. It says, look at how they live and lead in the home. It says, look at how they respond when they're squeezed. It says, look at their reputation at work in the community. Look at their relationship with money and alcohol and food. Are they humble? Are they holy? Are they disciplined? Are they self-controlled? Are they hospitable? That's fruit. You see, fruit is a spiritually thriving home. Fruit is... Fruit is character, it's holiness, it's love. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life, we, we're, we're familiar. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's goodness, it's kindness, it's gentleness, and self-control. We, those are the fruit that we're talking about here. And, the, and just a side note, this is why I caution listening blindly to someone that you find on the internet because because you don't know if this prophet that you just pulled up on youtube just got done screaming at his wife you don't know if if they're greedy you don't know if they're actually addicted to alcohol or drug you don't know you can't inspect their lives and so I say use caution when you can't see a person's life up close. So Jesus tells us the key to bearing fruit. And here it is in John 15. And, um, John 15, John 14, 15, 16. You guys read this on your own, okay? It, it's amazing stuff. Um, but he says in, in John 15, verses 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. In other words, abiding in Jesus is the only way to bear fruit not just the best way not just the most effective way it is the only way that you can bear fruit and fruit that abides and that gives us a good definition for abiding in jesus abiding in jesus is trusting him and living in total dependence upon him that's what it looks like to abide it's it's a relationship it's a connection right? It's, it's to remain in him. It's to continue trusting him, to continue clinging to him. That's what abiding looks like. That's just the start. There's something else we need to do if his life will flow into us and produce godly fruit, and that's what I want to cover at the end of this. 
message. That brings us to the second half of this passage, which may seem confusing, right? Okay, so let's think back about our passage in, in Matthew 21. The first part of it, you've got Jesus working this sign, miracle, cursing the tree, which is definitely about the judgment that's on Jerusalem, on Israel for their barrenness as he's come in, right? What in the world does that have to do with what he teaches next? When his disciples come to him and they say, what happened to this tree? How did you do that? Look, look at what happens. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, you think he's about to give a lesson on fruit. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What in the world? Jesus, why, why this little tangent on believing prayer? What does it have to do with our context? Everything. Everything. What else has Jesus recently said about prayer? Do you remember? He goes into the temple. He cleanses the temple. What does he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer. There it is. And do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached on the cleansing of the temple, I said, why does he say that? It's because prayer is relationship. Prayer is where the relationship happens. And his people were not in a relationship with him. Prayer, here's my third point if you're a note taker. Prayer is foundational to bearing good fruit. This is, this is really the one takeaway. This is really it. And I'm going to hopefully drive this home. We can read the Bible and even memorize it without a relationship with God. We can sing worship every week and in our car on the way to work and not have a relationship with God. We can offer the sacrifices of our time and our money and our resources without a relationship with God. But... You cannot have a prayerful life of dependence on God without a relationship with God. Your prayer life is the greatest indicator of where your friendship with God stands. Let me explain. Because you can't say you are trusting God if you aren't crying out for help. You can't say you're repenting of sin if you aren't confessing sin to him. You can't say you're expecting God to move if you aren't asking him for anything. You can't say you have a close relationship with him or anyone else if you don't talk to them. Prayer is our relational connection to the living God. It's the place where we take hold of God and he moves on our behalf. It's the place, it's, it's the thing you do when you go into your bedroom and close the door behind you and it's just you and him. 
It's the place of intimacy. Prayer is where we build the relationships, where we build the friendship with him. Prayer is where we vocalize our dependence upon him. Remember, abiding is trusting in him and depending upon him completely. Prayer is the language that vocalizes that trust and dependence. So, Let's step back from our passage just a second and think. Jesus comes in to the temple. He sees lifeless, empty religion. All talk, no real relationship. He sees leaves with no fruit. And he gives this rebuke. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Then he curses the fig tree. And it withers as a sign of judgment on fruitless Jerusalem. Then when the disciples ask him about it, he teaches them the power of believing prayer. In other words, Jesus is saying, how do you not end up like that? Prayer. Believing prayer. Ask me and I will give. This is foundational to fruit bearing. Remember that fruit is only possible as the life of Jesus flows into you and through you. This happens through prayer. At the end, so when Jesus has one last full night with his disciples before he's going to be arrested and tried and condemned and crucified, do you know what his message to them is in this final night over and over again? John 14, 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This passage in John 14, oh my goodness, this is incredible. He says in this passage, he says in, in John 14, 10, that it is the Father who dwells in him doing the works. He said, he's, he's, he's told them this before, several times, but he's hammering it home. His last night with them. He says, hey, the life you've seen me live, the things you've heard me say, the works you've seen me do, the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then he says this, audacious statement listen to this believe me oh sorry truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i am going to the father what how in the world next verse whatever you ask in my name i will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the message that, that Jesus is hammering home to his disciples on the last night. You've seen my life. You've seen my teaching. How did that happen? 
I abide in the Father. The Father abides in me. Here's how the fruit, here's how that fruit that you saw in my life happened. The Father who dwells in me does his works. And then he says, you can do the works that I did, disciples. And even greater works than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And I will send to you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be in you forever. This is the message. We can bear the fruit that Jesus bore in the same way that he bore it. Because he did it as he depended upon the Father, as he asked the Father and the Father gave. And so over and over in this little section, we see this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you bear much fruit? By abiding and letting his word find a home in your heart and then asking him to bear the fruit that he wants to bear through you. And again in verse 16, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Over and over again, he points his disciples, he points us to this fact. If we are going to do the things that he did, as he said we can, it will be because we trust him, we ask him, and then he does what? He gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask. He empowers. What, what does he say at the end of Luke when he, when he gives his final words before he ascends? He says, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. What is power? Ability. It's ability to do work, ability to produce. The Holy Spirit is the key to fruit bearing, but we must ask. And so it starts with recognizing that we're entirely dependent on him for every good work, defeating any sin in our lives, loving him, loving others, serving others, being a good mom or a good dad or a good employee or employer, responding with patience and kindness when we're squeezed, when our day doesn't go well. What, whatever it is, any good fruit is only going to happen through him. It starts there. We got, we've got to constantly recognize that or else we'll go back to depending on ourselves. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, abiding requires asking. No prayer, no fruit. Period. And and I want to just point out here. Um, 
this message is not meant to make believers afraid that you're not bearing enough fruit. What it's meant to do is plant within you a desire for more, a hunger for more. Because our God longs for more fruit. When you read John 15, you'll see these statements, more fruit, much fruit, more fruit. He wants, he wants as much as your life can produce, as much as our church can produce. He wants disciples. He wants to see disciples made. He wants to see people who don't know him come to know him. He wants to see your workplace changed. He wants to see your family transformed. He wants to see you transformed inwardly. He wants to see you set free from sin. So, so don't, don't get bogged down with doing all this assessing. Instead say, Lord, I want more fruit. I see that you have been working. I can see that, that I'm not the same person I was before I met you. You have been working. You have been changing. You have been bearing fruit in my life. And I want more. Yes. And so I'm going to depend upon you. I'm going to cry out to you and ask you to do what only you can do in my life. Not once or twice, but continually. And this is what abiding looks like. To abide means to remain. So what's implied here is that this is continual it's all through your day and this is why this is harder than it initially sounds because you can't just wake up in the morning and go okay lord help me to abide today amen and then just coast <laughs> no no it, it's it's a relationship it's it's a walk you're walking with god through your day you are meeting each new moment with God. You're saying, okay, God, here we are talking to this friend. Here we are speaking with my boss. Here we are, Lord, parenting my child. Here we are, Lord, getting cut off as I drive down the road. <laughs> how, do, how do we respond to this, God? How do we respond? How do you want me to respond? I need you right now. I can't do this without you. I, you told me I can't do anything without you. So how do I have this conversation? How do I handle this parenting moment? How do I handle getting cut off? How do I handle the fact that I only slept three hours last night? How do I, whatever. And how do I help further your kingdom? How do I see more disciples? How, what part can I play in fulfilling your mission that you're passionate about? That's how we bear fruit. We express our dependency in words called prayer. And when we do that, he grants us power moment by moment by giving us his Holy Spirit, and he bears his fruit through us. Let's pray. Lord, 
it's very clear when we read your word that you've done everything needed to provide all that we need for a life of godliness. You've given us everything we need. We have your word. We have your spirit indwelling us. We have access to you, Lord, because of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, forgives us. We can pray and ask you to do things, and you will do them. We have your promises, your promises that say that the works that you have done, we can do, and even greater works than these. We don't lack anything but faith. Lord, and so help our unbelief. Help us to want more of you. Because I think we have right now exactly as much of you as we want. We are experiencing exactly as much of you in our lives as we want. You are the one who has provided it all. You say, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So, Lord, help us to want more of you, to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we may be satisfied. Help us to come to you all through the day and ask you to do things and see you do them, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.